I want to share with you guys a story before I kind of get started this morning. I heard about a pastor, right, uh, about a pastor's wife who was a wonder at conserving food. She rarely threw food away. So, you know, I like eating leftovers, uh, but after the fourth day, I mean, even Jesus got up after the third day. Uh, after the fourth day, that thing ain't going in my mouth. And so <laughs> she never threw any of the food away, this pastor's wife. And at one meal, she gave her husband nothing but leftovers. And he was obviously not very enthusiastic about it. And he began to pick at the food and ate a little. But he hadn't prayed for the food yet. And so his wife looked at him. She smiled. And she gently said, dear, you forgot the blessing. And he looked over at her and said, sweetheart. If you can show me one item that hasn't been blessed on this plate at least two times, I can't see what another prayer would do for it. <laughs> leftovers. In our story today, we read about leftovers. Mark chapter 8 verse 8 tells us that the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now, ordinarily, leftovers are food that has been left over, and you prepare them a second time, a third time, maybe even a fourth time. You know, maybe you're like me in my house, and we're a smaller family, and so sometimes we overdo it on the turkey for Thanksgiving, and so we're having turkey salad, turkey for breakfast with eggs, turkey in croissants, <laughs> turkey sandwich. <laughs> I mean, my wife finds great ways to make a... a Turkey gel, I don't know, turkey jello, I don't, turkey milkshake, I don't know, man. <laughs> but uh, what Jesus did in our story this morning was a leftover. You see, Jesus had done this thing once before. If you go back a couple of chapters in Mark, you see Jesus doing this food thing for another crowd. It's exactly what Bishop D was speaking to us about yesterday. Mark chapter 6, verse 34 to 38 tells us that when Jesus had landed, saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. This is the previous account, the, the feeding of the 5,000. And by this time it was late in the day, and so his disciples came to him. They said, this is a remote place. And it's very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So what the disciples were saying, okay, send them to Cracker Barrel because we can't feed them. This isn't an all-you-can-eat buffet. We can't get this to, get, to happen. And, but he answered, you give them something to eat. Jesus is laying the onus on them. Hey, you do something for them. And they said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he said. Go and see. And when they find out, they took the lunch from this little boy. This little boy offered up his lunch. Five loaves and two fishes. And one of the things I find interesting about our story today is that the disciples hadn't learned much from the very first time that Jesus did that. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where Jesus has to teach you the same thing over and over again? I don't know about you, but for me, I'm a little bit of a hardhead. It takes me a little bit more than once, maybe a little bit of twice, a little bit of three times for me to go through something for Jesus to finally fit it through my thick skull, what he kind of wants done. And it's almost identical down to even some of the conversation that Jesus had with them in our text today. See, Jesus said, if I send the crowd home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come from a long distance. And his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can we get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? This time they have seven. Jesus is serving up leftovers. He's doing his food thing a second time. 
Now, if I'd been a disciple with Jesus that day, I'd hope I would have said, hey, Jesus, do that thing with the food that you did last time. Don't you think? Wouldn't that have been the logical thing, right? Jesus, do it again. We've seen you do it. Do it again. But they didn't. And so Jesus had to teach the same lesson again. They had to learn the same lesson all over again. It was kind of a spiritual leftover thing, but there's more. Jesus fed 5,000 people in Mark chapter 6. Now he is feeding 4,000 people in Mark chapter 8. And just a few verses after that, we read something really odd in Mark chapter 8, 14 through 21. See, Jesus barely gets done feeding the 4,000, and he gets into a boat with the 12, with the apostles. And the disciples had forgotten to bring bread for their journey except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. And so Jesus tells them, hey, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And they discussed this. The disciples began to have a a conversation with each other. And he said, they were like, "Um, is Jesus kind of ticked off because we forgot the bread? You know, is it because we have no bread that he's saying this? And aware of what they were talking about, Jesus gets involved in the conversation. And he says, why are you talking about having no bread? Do do you guys still not see? Do you you still not understand? Are your hearts that hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? Don't you remember? Don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketful of pieces did you pick up? He says. And they say 12. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four, uh, when I broke the uh, uh, seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basketful pieces did you pick up then? Seven. Don't you still understand? Don't don't you get it? What what was it that they didn't understand? They'd seen Jesus feed five thousand people with five loaves, and they had twelve basketfuls left over. They'd seen Jesus feed four thousand people now with seven loaves and seven basketfuls left over. Now they sit with one loaf, and they wonder if that's going to be enough to go around. One loaf. Jesus had done all these things over and over again. So what didn't they understand? They didn't understand one thing that we fail to see time and time again. They didn't understand that Jesus supplies people's needs. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. But here's the deal, the disciples, the apostles, they were struggling with that. They'd been there when Jesus fed the 5,000. They'd been there when Jesus fed the 4,000. But they still struggled with the idea that Jesus could genuinely supply their needs. And frankly, the truth is that we all struggle with that, don't we? We all struggle with the faith to believe that God will supply all our needs according to his riches in glory. I once had a conversation with a man And he shared how he'd gone to Bible college and how he loved to go to church and he loved to sing and he loved to lead singing. But he had hit hard times. I think his wife had left him and and I believe Christians had mistreated him and hurt him. And life had gotten so rough that he openly challenged the idea that God would help him or anyone else. He openly doubted that God could supply all his needs according to his riches in glory. You see, at one time or another, that kind of doubt really troubles all of us. So why does this happen? Well, we're used to doing things ourselves. If you'll remember, there's an old movie with an actor, Jimmy Stewart, Shenandoah. And he played the self-reliant father of the family. And he'd go to church, but essentially he didn't spend any time thinking about God 
And as they were sitting at the table preparing for a meal time, in the movie, Stuart said, offered up a prayer like this. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested it. And we've cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here, and we wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it ourselves. We work dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel. But we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. See, toward the end of the movie, Stuart's heart actually changed and he ends up going to church. But the reason I quoted the prayer is that it reflects several truths in our lives. We have to make money. We have to pay the bills. We have to make repairs on the house. We have to put gas in our cars. We have to do this. We have to do that. And the truth is God doesn't do that stuff for you. You do. It's called being a responsible individual. It's called doing what has to be done. But here's the deal. Then something happens in our lives. Something that we can't do. Something happens that we can't control. A situation happens in our lives that we can't overcome. So what do we do then? You know what happens when that happens to me? I've been a preacher for several years, so I know exactly what happens when life gets tough and things get difficult. But you know what I do when it happens? I get mad. I get angry. I get frustrated. I go into panic mode. And I know maybe you expected a more spiritual answer from a pastor, but here's the deal. That's the truth. And it's reality. And, and, and if it's my fault that things were going wrong, I get really upset. Have you guys been there before? When you know that it's you, you maybe have caused the hurt, you maybe have caused the pain, and you're just angry at yourself. But over several years of preaching, here's what I've learned. All these years, I've not just been preaching to others. I've been preaching to myself as well. And I learned to not stay upset. When I go into panic mode, when I find myself becoming frustrated and angry, I don't want to let that control me. I've learned how to control these emotions using two simple disciplines. You ready? I get down on my knees and I pray. And I tell God I can't do this. I don't know how to fix what's going wrong. I don't have resources. I don't have the power to overcome this obstacle in my life. So, God, I need you to do what I can't do. And then I do something really powerful. I go to bed. I go to bed. When I'm angry, I like taking a nap. If it's in the afternoon, I take a nap. If it's in the evening, I'll go to bed for the night. It doesn't matter what time of day it is, I like to go to sleep. Because I found that when I get up from that sleep, the problem is still there, but the sleep has taken the edge of my frustration. A man named Pat Barnes told of coming out of church one Sunday and encountering an old flowered lady. At her feet, corsages and boutonnieres were on top of a spread open newspaper. And so the flower lady was smiling, her wrinkled old face alive with some inner joy. And here's the story. I started down the stairs, he said. Then on impulse, turned and picked out a flower. As I put it in my lapel, I said, you look happy this morning. Why not? Everything is good. She was dressed so shabbily and seemed so very old that her reply startled me. You've been sitting here for many years now, haven't you? And always smiling. 
you wear your troubles well. And here's what the old woman replied. You can't reach my age and not have troubles. Only it's like Jesus and Good Friday. And she paused for a moment. And she said, yes. And she said, well, when Jesus was crucified on Good Friday, that was the worst day of the whole world. And when I get troubles, I remember that. And then I think of what only happened three days later. Easter and Jesus' resurrection. And so when I get troubles, I've learned to wait three days. Somehow, everything gets all right again. See, that's a repeated theme in Scripture. Waiting on God. Over and over again in the Bible, it speaks about us waiting on God. Psalm 27, 14 says this, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, wait for the Lord. So how am I supposed to wait? Psalm 5, verse 3 says, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. In expectation. How could I possibly wait on God in expectation? Well, I can wait on God in expectation because I know that God has acted in the past. And because I know that God has acted in the past, I'm confident that he will act in my life in the future. And so I wait in expectation knowing God will act in my life. And the way that I know God has acted in the past is if I learn to look for the leftovers. So how do I know that God will supply my needs? I look at the leftovers. The 12 disciples are sitting in the boat looking at one loaf of bread, wondering how they're going to split it up between them. And Jesus tries to get it through their heads. He tells them, don't you remember? Don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketful of pieces did you pick up? You can almost hear them saying, wow, 12, you know? Like, I get where you're going with this conversation, Jesus. And don't you remember when I broke the seven loaves for the full thousand? How many basketfuls did you pick up then? Seven? How don't you still get it? How don't you still understand? Look at the leftovers, Jesus says. Learn to look for what God has done for you in the past. See, I've been a preacher for years, and I've been blessed with a whole list of leftovers. If you sit down and ask me to tell you all the things that God has done in my life over the years, I could take all day long to talk about it. And I'm hardly ever the hero in these stories. God is the hero. They are God's stories. They're the stories of how God fulfilled all my needs according to his riches and glory. I've got a boatload of leftovers that I've seen in my life. But now what if you don't have those personal leftovers? What if you're new to this thing called faith? Or what if you haven't had much experience with God's kindness in your life? Well, if you don't have your own personal leftovers, God says something interesting. Let me give you a few. That's what Romans chapter 15 verse 4 is talking about when we're told everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we could have hope. See, everything God has written down here in the Bible was meant for us to snack on, for us to taste on. 
when we're going through difficult times and difficult moments. This is the thing that sustains us. It was all written for you. See, when you read a story in the Bible about a character like Joseph, who was sold into slavery, unjustly thrown into prison, that was written for you. When you read in the Bible about David facing off against a giant that he had no business fighting, you need to know it was written for you. When you read about Esther facing possible death to serve her people, you need to know that that was written for you. When you read about Daniel being thrown into the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into a fiery furnace for their faith, you need to know those stories were written for you. Those stories were all written down so you'd see real people facing real problems. People who have, may have struggled with their faith. Most of the time those people struggled, but ultimately they obeyed God. And because they were willing to obey God, even in their fears and doubts, God worked miracles in their lives. Those tales were not written down so that you'd have bedtime stories to read to your kids. They were written down, again, Romans 5.14, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, you might have hope. See, if you don't have your own leftovers to feed off of, then you need to be feeding off of these stories in the Bible. If you're waiting for God to act in your life, for the miraculous to happen, and you're discouraged in this moment, you need to feed off of the scriptures. Now, what does that mean, Pastor? What does that mean, feeding off the leftovers? Should I sit back and do nothing but wait on God? No, that isn't how this thing works. See, when Jesus fed the 5,000, do you know what he asked his disciples? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? Five loaves, two fish. And when Jesus fed the 4,000, do you know what he said to his disciples? He said, how many loaves do you have? Are you sensing a little bit of a pattern here? What do you have to give to God? What can you supply? Well, then give it. What do you have to give to God? Give it. But Pastor Tom, it's not enough. What I have is insufficient for a powerful and mighty God, the creator of the universe. I'm nothing in his sight. I don't even think God wants to have a conversation for me. I'm such a sinner. I haven't been to church in, in X amount. I, 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 I mean, God, God doesn't even want to hear my mouth. I'm telling you, that's okay. God will always make up the difference. If you're willing to give him what you have. If you want ten and all you have is two, God will make up the difference. He wants you to believe so strongly in the fact that he can do what he promises. That sometimes he expects you to pony up and do what you can. Come on, church. Some of us, God is destined for the skies and we're pecking the ground like we're turkeys and chickens. We got wings to fly, and we're too busy pecking the ground. And we're visionless. We may have had a vision. We might have had a dream for the way that we wanted our life to go, for how we wanted our career to be, our family life to be. And you know what? Life has hit us like a train wreck. And some of us have just sat down squarely on the ground in the desert, hoping, praying that one day God would come and lift us up. Well, here's the message. Here's the sign from God this morning. Pony up. Get up. God wants to do something. He's tired of seeing you pecking on the ground. He's destined you for door. He's destined you for the height. Rise up. Rise up to the occasion. If you were looking for a sign, this is it. This is it. 
Don't sit down in self-defeat. That's exactly what the devil wants. A powerless church, a powerless person. And it's not because God needs your strength or your resources or your influence in the miracle. But here's the deal. God wants to make you a partner with him in his miracle. He wants you to share in the wonder of what he's going to do in your life. And he wants to give you a story on your own. So that one day, I'm not saying you will always have to depend on the scriptures. But he wants to give you a story that you can go back to. That you can say, here's my Bible story. Here's where God delivered me out of the lion's den. Here's where God delivered me out of that workplace. Out of that bad relationship. Here's how God restored my marriage, my relationship with my children. Here's how God prospered my finances so I didn't have to beg anymore. That is what God wants to do in your life. He is writing a story. He is writing a narrative. And he is asking you to partner with him. Partner with him. If you partner with God, God will author it all. You don't need to worry about authoring your story. You just need to be worried about a character playing the role. One last thought I have with you guys this morning. As I ask our worship team to come forward. See, I like leftovers, <laughs> but I can get really tired of them after a while. And sometimes I'll just tell my wife, hey, let's go out on the town. L let's have a meal that I haven't cooked. Amen. Are you with me? Uh, I got two restaurants that I like to go to. All right, you ready? I know Pastor Appreciation Day is coming up, so I'm just helping you out. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what I like. You ready? Begin to write it down. <laughs> I like this Dominican drink. It's called Morir Soñando. If somebody gets that from me, they're getting a shirt. <laughs> but I like two restaurants. You ready? Two restaurants are my favorite restaurants. I like the Cheesecake Factory. And I like going out to this beautiful Spanish restaurant called Noches de Colombia. Praise God. Hallelujah. And so sometimes I like to go out and have a, 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 have a meal that I haven't cooked. And, and I, don't, I don't do it often. Maybe you ask my family, they'll tell you something else. But, but what I do, I, I, really, I really enjoy it. You see, we need the spiritual leftovers God gives us. They're important for us to feed on. But you know that the day is coming when we won't need to be eating spiritual leftovers anymore. One day the Bible says that God is going to prepare a great banquet just for us. And there won't be one leftover on the table. In Luke chapter 13 verse 29, Jesus said, People will come from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south, and will take their places in the feast in the kingdom of God. You know what Jesus is saying in that? It is a powerful statement. And this applies to our modern-day context, our modern-day culture. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying this ain't a white thing. This ain't a black thing. This ain't an Espanol thing. This is a global thing. This is an Arab thing, an Asian thing, a white thing. This is a world thing. And people will be saved from every people, language, tribe, tongue, race, ethnicity. People will be saved from everywhere. We can't put a damper on this. The church needs to be diverse. Because we're all going to sit together at a meal as a family one day. Revelation 19 verse 9, the very last book in the Bible. An angel tells the apostle John, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Wow. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper 
of the Lamb. It's going to be a special meal on that day. And we'll never be hungry again. And we'll need not worry about leftovers ever again. Because we'll forever be in God's presence. Eating from his table. But here's the catch. You you can't take part in that great meal. Until you first belong to Jesus. That means having a relationship with him, a walk with him, receiving him as your savior. That is the invitation. Jesus says something powerful in the book of Revelation. And I want that to be what you remember today. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart. At the door of this church. And he's knocking. Will you let him in? Will you open the door to your heart? Would you let Jesus in to be enthroned in your life? Would you take this walk with Jesus thing seriously? It's important. The Bible says that all those who follow Jesus must pick up their cross and follow him. That means this is not an easy thing. It is the free gift of salvation. It's wonderful, but it's not an easy thing to be a believer. It takes a lot of hard work. A lot of working internally in your life to address issues that have gone unaddressed for years. Jesus is all about freedom. And he wants to give you that freedom this morning. Would you give him your leftovers? All that you have and let him transform that for the glory and honor of his name. I want us to reflect for a few moments in worship. How appropriate that we would sing a song of surrender. Because that's exactly what I believe the Lord wants to see from us this morning. A complete and total surrender of all that we are. To the glory of his name. Let's worship the Lord together.